If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. If I haven't met you, my name is David and I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad that you are here with us. We're um, just beginning a new series uh, starting last week in the book of Galatians. And last week we looked at the first five verses of Galatians chapter 1 and now we are looking at verses 6 through 10. And this is an incredible letter from the Apostle Paul who wrote to the churches throughout Galatia. And the message of Galatians is a message of freedom. If you study the book of Galatians, if you read commentaries, what others have said about the book of Galatians, it's a book that really is marked by the subject that we have been set free by the truth of the gospel. And so this message really in here is the release from the bondage of legalism. It's the resolve to the issue of lawlessness. And the whole book is truthfully spiritual dynamite. It's powerfully doctrinal, historic, it's practical, and it's powerful. But it doesn't start out with this message of freedom yet because there was a group in here of teachers that were teaching a false gospel. And they were confusing the church and leading them away from the truth. And so these false teachers were known as Judaizers. And these individuals taught that Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised and they needed to follow the Mosaic law. And so Paul had preached the gospel to them, to these churches in Galatia, that in Christ, these believers had experienced freedom. But now as these teachers and religious leaders are coming in, they're saying, listen, this gospel truth that has been shared by the apostle Paul is not complete and they went even further to say there are, there are more works and efforts you need to apply to be saved. But Paul is going to continue in these verses, in verses 6 through 10, and remind the church that there is no other gospel that saves. Now, this is not only an issue in the early church in this text, but it's also an issue today. That there are false teachers and false doctrines that are troubling and distorting the truth. And so we need to understand that It is only the true gospel that saves, and the gospel must not and cannot be changed. And so what really needs to change is you and I. That since we have been set free by the truth of the gospel, we can now live free. And so Paul's argument is one of freedom. He's going to continue on every chapter that we study. We're going to see that Paul's argument is one of freedom. That really gospel belief and gospel truth fuels gospel change. And not where we are changing the gospel, but where the gospel is changing us, which results in freedom. And so we don't add to it or we don't remove anything from it. We believe in it and we apply it daily. Because one of the things I said last week that we're going to continue to look at is that the gospel is not only a guide of how to enter into the kingdom It is a guide to how we live as kingdom people. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that there is no other gospel by which we are saved. And if anyone does preach this, they are accursed. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. Um, There are some out in the commons in this back area, and it will also be up on the screen behind me, and I encourage you to just kind of follow along. So starting in verse 6. 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we look at your word and we go to unpack this truth, Father, I pray that what we would look at is the true gospel. God, I pray that we would seek to be a people that is dedicated to being servants of Christ. Not looking to please man, but to be servants of Christ. And so, Father, this morning I pray that I would be faithful to that. That we would continue to seek your word and seek your truth and that all together we would be faithful to that. So, God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to look to your word, to unpack your word. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. So the first part of uh, my sentence for you is really, could be a a sermon in of itself. It could be a, a series in of itself because this is so important for us to understand that there is no other gospel And I think it's important before we talk about the issue of another gospel to first look at what the true gospel is. And so that word gospel means good news. And something important for us to understand is that good news can only be good if it invades bad space. Okay? News can only be good. Good news can only be good if it invades bad space. There's no need for good news if everything's good. And so the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ, who came to earth to invade our bad space, to invade us, to reconcile us while we were sinners. And so the true gospel of the Bible is that in the beginning, the one and only God who is holy made us in his image with the intention of perfect relationship with us. We see this in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. But unfortunately, we sinned and cut ourselves off from him because sin and God cannot go together. And so it's not just Adam's sin and Eve's sin, but we play a role in that as well that we see in Romans 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in his great love, God sent his son Jesus to come as king and rescue us from our enemies and most significantly from our own sin. And so Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life. He did what we could never do, and he willingly, for the Father, died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in him. And then he rose from the grave in order to give us eternal life. So this good news here, this gospel, is a work done by God. 
It's the grace of God towards guilty sinners. So if we want to know the heart of the true gospel, the good news, we look at the cross. We see how Jesus absorbed all of our sin. All of the bad news is absorbed in Jesus. And so really the cross is the centerpiece where we see the remedy to our broken and sinful lives. That it's by the work of God and the person and work of Jesus. It's in unmeasurably loving God, full of rightful wrath, who is constantly in pursuit of busted up people like you and I, where he justly crushes his son, Jesus, to reconcile you and I so that we can walk in eternal freedom. And so this is the gospel that Paul is preaching that you are set free, not by anything that you have done, not by anything you can continue to try and do, but you are set free by Christ alone. And so here, Paul is concerned. He's greatly concerned, and he quickly jumps to addressing a major issue in these churches because this is what they've so blindly walked away from. And so at this point in his letter, in other letters that Paul typically writes, Paul is typically offering a prayer or a thanksgiving to his audience. But here, there's no cause for thanksgiving. For Paul, he gets right to the heart of it because they've turned away from the truth of the gospel to another gospel. And so Paul begins by telling them that he is astonished. He is shocked that they are so quickly turning to a different gospel, and especially one that is false. And so Paul is really beginning this section of his letter by telling the church, listen, we need to talk. Now, I don't know if for you uh, this is the same, but for me, when anyone sends me a letter or a text or an email and it says, listen, we need to talk. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know how that feels. And you just begin to be concerned And so Paul is very seriously writing to the church and saying, listen, we need to talk. There's a great issue here among you. And so as we see in verse six, he's looking to point them back to God. Now, remember what we talked about last week. Paul has been questioned. He's been disregarded by these Judaizers as one who's not truly an apostle. When they came in, they were discrediting Paul's ministry. But in this section, this is not where Paul's main concern is. He gets to his talk with these churches with the main concern that they've walked away from their relationship with God and the grace that they received in Jesus. And so this is a great concern because when we walk away from the truth of the gospel, we're also walking away from the incredible grace of the gospel. And so as Paul is sharing his astonishment and concern with the churches, he's sharing it because he knows what their life in Christ was like. He knows what they had received in Christ, the freedom that they had in Christ, and what it would look like for them to return to this. And so in verse 7, there are two things that Paul points out about these false teachers that I believe are really important for us to note. Because here, Paul is not only pointing out the error in these false teachers, but he's also giving us some evidence and some practical application of how to discern what is false. And the first that he says is that they trouble you. That the false teachers in Galatia probably presented their message as the true understanding of the gospel. 
that, that Paul most likely had just shared a, a part of it, missing the other important details. And according to Paul, these teachers have done more harm than good. And so think of it this way when it comes to a teacher like this, a person who troubles you. Think of it this way. It's much like a, a scam or a con that happens to someone. Because when a con artist comes in, they first convince you of something good. They convince you of something they believe and they sell to you as ultimate truth. And then they present an error in you. They present this error that you need to remedy. And at this point, it's usually the time where the person begins to doubt themselves. Well, well, wait a minute. Did I really resolve that debt they're trying to collect on? Did I really resolve that? Maybe I do need that thing they're selling that will finally resolve that issue they told me I had. And so all of this doubt begins to set in and you're troubled. And then they get you to put your wealth, your, your whole self to remedy this error. They get you to believe the lie that causes more trouble. And then they get out with your wealth and with your worth. See, this is a lot like what happens when someone listens to a false teacher and a false gospel, that they're troubled and they're left empty. And then also Paul says they, they distort truth. Now here's an important one for us, a very important one for us, because this is a constant work of the enemy. From tempting Eve in the garden to Jesus in the desert, twisting truth with the churches in Galatia, and even now with us. The enemy loves to distort truth and disguise himself. So let me tell you something important. Satan wants to look as much like a Christian as possible, and his false teachers do the same. And we know this also because Paul said this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verses 14 and 15, he says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Church, this is important for us to discern because there are some among us today that are teaching a gospel that is not of the Bible. They look like us, they sound like us, and really they know a lot about God, but they truly don't know God. Do you understand what that means? They, they know a lot about God, but they don't know him. This was also the issue of the Pharisees. They were so wrapped up in how much they knew about God that they did not see God in the flesh. And there are some even that are doing a lot of damage in the lives of Christians that are lacking discernment. And there are some of us that are listening to these dangerous false teachers, and we may not even realize it. And so as Paul says to the church in Corinth in this text, he's saying, this is no surprise. This is no surprise that the enemy would do this, that the enemy would try to get you to walk away from the truth. And so what's important is we need to be so saturated in the truth that even a hint of distorted truth would cause us to search the word and turn to Jesus. We need to be so saturated in the truth of the gospel that even a hint of a distorted truth would cause us to search the word and turn to Jesus. 
Because really it is in him and through him alone that we are saved. It is not all of these other methods that are offered. It is only in Christ that we are saved. And so one of the legalistic teachings of the Judaizers was that they were preaching that it was by Jesus plus works that equaled salvation. Now, one thing important to note that is also an issue today is, this, is that these were masked works. So it wasn't blatantly coming out first in saying, you have to do this. They were preaching that, that you were saved by Jesus, that grace was an important factor. But then along the lines in their beautifully presented message, it was, but also we need to add this piece of works to your salvation. Now that you've heard them, now that you've received them, then there's the added work. But let me tell you, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you rest in the confidence of Jesus. There is no other gospel that saves you. There is no other system that saves you, and there is no other works than Jesus' works that save you. But really, this is constantly an issue in our time today. That most, if not all, of religions and spiritualities apart from Christianity teach something called works. And they may not blatantly call it works, but eventually it gets to the heart of the doctrine of works. That you can save yourself by doing certain things or not doing other things, and you can even be your own savior in the process of this if your works are good enough. And so we see this in many other religions. We see this in Buddhism, where ceasing desires saves you. In Confucianism, education, self-reflection, self-cultivation, and living a moral life saves you. In Hinduism, detaching from your separated ego and making an effort to live in unity with the divine saves you. In Islam, living a holy life of good deeds saves you. In Orthodox Judaism, repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the law saves you. In New Ageism, Gaining a new perspective through which you now see that you're connected to all things as a divine oneness saves you. And in Deoism, which means why or or path or principle, aligning yourself with the Deo to have peace and harmony saves you. And many other people in in their minds, simply by being a good person, that saves them. And at funerals, even some believe that merely dying saves you. And so really, if we're to get at the heart of the issue, that whole category is works. It's do this, don't do that, so you will be saved from whatever fate is set before you. So this is what makes Christianity so different. This is what makes the Bible so different. That we are not saved by our works, we are saved by Jesus' works. And so there is nothing you can do different to be saved, to be loved as you are loved by God. And there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation that you have received when you have received Jesus. He is enough. And through your belief in him, he has made you enough. That really Christianity is not based on what we do, but upon what Jesus Christ has already done. And so if you want to be saved you receive this. 
You don't have to do anything. You just have to trust in what Jesus Christ has already done. This is how we are saved. It's in Christ alone that we are saved. And in verse eight and nine, Paul tells the Galatians and he gets even more serious and he explains what will happen to someone who preaches another gospel. He says this in verse 89, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And he goes on repeating himself, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the Greek word here, accursed, is anathema, which really refers to putting someone under God's judgment. And since the gospel is the message of God's salvation, God will punish those who distort it. This is true of the Bible. And I love what R.C. Sproul had to say with, with, with this text when speaking about this specific passage and this specific word. He said, if an angel comes in here and says, wait a minute, You can't get to heaven by trusting Christ and Christ alone and having the imputation of his merit. And the angel came in here and said, for you to really be justified, you have to have inherent righteousness. You have to add works to faith, merit to grace, you to Christ. This is my favorite part. If an angel from heaven came in here and said that, I would take him by the seat of his celestial pants and kick him out of here. Let me tell you something, church. There should never be a place in our lives for another gospel to take root. There should never be any place, both in our church, of our services, our gatherings, and in our personal lives. We need to reject it, and we need to speak up against it. Because there have been other false gospels that have been preached and made others wander. There's, there's been Gnosticism, which denies Jesus coming in the flesh. And there's Mormonism, which proclaims a different gospel based on an angelic revelation. And Paul speaks very clearly to this. He says, if anyone comes to you, if I again later come to you, if an angel from heaven comes down and preaches another gospel of which I've preached to you, which I did not get from man, but from God, let him be anathema. Let him be under the judgment of God because God does not change his gospel. And so here's what is truth and of utmost importance. If we are walking in the truth of the gospel, then we are also responsible to point out wandering brothers and sisters in love to the gospel truth. Now, I think some of you, that's a scary thought. I think others of you missed the word I said in love, and you're ready to take your bullhorn out into the streets. And that's not what I mean, because you need to remember that these are brothers and sisters. Paul is not preaching an evangelistic message here. I hope you understand that. He is sharing this truth to the brothers and sisters of the churches. And in love, he is wanting to point them to the gospel. Now, when some of you read this text that we've covered today, and especially you non-confrontational types, some may ask, Where is Paul's love? If you say we're to do this in love, where's Paul's love? He asks for a double curse on these false teachers. 
And he doesn't just ask God to curse the message, but to curse the people who spread the message. So where's Paul's love? Paul's love is for the souls that are in danger of hell. See, if a gospel is false, and it's another method of what is considered a better, a better good news, it cannot save anyone. And so think of it this way. Imagine you are on a sinking ship, and the waters fill, and people are about to drown. And two ships come to rescue people in danger, but one of the rescue ships carries a load of dynamite. And for some reason, you know to be true that the ship is going to explode before it reaches port, and everyone on it will be killed. If you know this to be true, the most loving thing you can do is help everyone get to the right rescue ship. Because getting on the wrong ship will kill them. So Paul looks at this false gospel, this perverted gospel, and says, that is a rescue ship about to sink, and it can't save anyone. And so Paul's heart is, I I want to do everything I can before God to warn people about what is wrong with this rescue ship. And so really, both true of Paul's time and ours, the, the saddest truth is that there are dying men and women who reject the reaching hand while pulling themselves down further towards drowning. And, and I think another sad truth that's important to notice is there are some who think that they are reaching to help in love and they're pushing that person deeper. And so in closing here, Paul points out in verse 10 what his motivation is. And he makes clear what his motivation is, not just in the text we're looking at today, but in the whole book of Galatians. When he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And although it's not specifically said, there's a sense that Paul is making a contrast between himself and those who brought in this different gospel. Because apparently this different gospel in some ways was built around an idea of pleasing man. And this is a dangerous, dangerous trap that some fall into. That they really seek to be popular rather than faithful. Now, to the best of my ability, here's what I believe to be true and and something that may take a moment to think through, but I, I don't care what you think about me, but I do care what you think. Think about that for a minute. I don't care what you think about me, but I care about what you think. And it's really important for us to hold firm to what we know is the truth of the gospel. And so I'm not seeking to please you. There's often times where I get more feedback on what people don't like that I say. Now, here's what I know to be true on the opposite side. Being offensive for offensive sake is dumb to the best terminology I can give you but speaking the truth and allowing the truth to just be offensive is important. 
Because Paul is making a clear distinction here. I'm not looking to be popular. These men that have come in to you are, are popular. But I'm looking to be faithful. I'm not looking to please you. I'm looking to be a servant of Christ. And this verse always gets me because Paul's not saying I'm, I'm looking to be your servant. But ultimately, a servant of Christ serves others. And so Paul's saying, I'm, I'm putting my vote motivation vertically. I'm putting my motivation on Christ. I don't want to be popular with you. I want to be faithful first to Christ, first to Christ and then to you. And so really for us, as we come to a close, I want you to ask yourself a question. Because there are people on sinking spiritual ships. There are some that are getting into ships that are going to explode and they are going to die. And so I want you to ask yourself a question this week. In your, in your living, in your day-to-day, in your, in your actions, in your decisions, and in your interactions with sinking people on spiritual ships. Are you trying to please man or are you a servant of Christ? Because if you're trying to please man and you're sugarcoating the gospel, you're taking pieces out of the gospel, you're adding pieces to it, you are not a servant of Christ. So are you trying to please man or are you a servant of Christ? Let's pray.